Hello everybody, my name is Anne McElhenney. And I'm Phelan McAleer. And this and is the Anne Film Scoop. And welcome to the Anne and Phelan Scoop Daily Virus, where we discuss the latest news, views and madness of the pandemic. I'm wearing a scarf today in honour of Deborah Burks, um, and also to distract attention from my roots. It's Friday, April the 17th, and we're in week four of our lockdown here in California. And we've only four more weeks to go. How's it going for you, Phelan? Wonderful. Yeah, it's great. And the great thing is that it's been a great time for us just to be together and just, just loving each other so much. Um, no tension at all on the set here, to be honest. It's just just absolutely blissful. Anyway, Phil, and what are we doing today in episode in this episode on our Friday episode of the t- of the of the Anne and Phelan Scoop? Uh, the Anne Scoop Daily Virus. So the Daily Virus is a is a daily look at the, the virus madness. So uh, we're just trying to keep you up to date and, and we always try and make it short and we always fail. We always try and keep it 10 minutes, but it always ends up being 20 minutes. And 20, there's just so much going on. There's so much madness out there. So let's have a quick recap of what's in today's program. Uh, the president has announced a roadmap to opening uh, America, uh, but it requires governors uh, to release their greasy hands from their re- recent power grab. Will they be on board? We wonder. Uh, statistics in Britain are starting to show that with empty hospitals and a health service not doing its day-to-day work, the cure may actually be worse than the disease. Let's have a look at that. And then we look at the dodgy Wuhan flu numbers to the China. Uh, along with that, they've now produced some dodgy GDP numbers, and we have a look at them. Um, and it's funny how China's numbers always seem to match their political uh, aspirations to the time, but we'll talk about that later on and china is not the only uh, far left outlet to be pushing dodgy figures and statistics for a political purpose in the first time we may be emerging f- to a normal world we look at how california scientists and la times are reverting to producing dodgy definitions and statistics to claim that despite the recent record cold <laughs> and rainfall we're actually in a drought yes these are the people we have to rely on for accurate statistics about the chinese coronavirus but we'll talk about that later and so and and in royal news, we had you hand you over to our royal correspondent. Yeah, we've Megan and Megan and Harry have been spotted out and about in LA. We'll tell you more about that. And are you sleeping okay? Because you're not alone if you're having problems. And you'll never guess what the final warning that is being issued by the Maryland police uh, comprises of. And we'll also have um, an update on the FBI lovebirds, which was a, which we released yesterday as an entertainment for people stuck in quarantine. But let's first turn to this story, which dominated yesterday, which is the reopening of the United States of America. So, what did President Trump Say, film. Well, he announced, I suppose, the guidelines for reopening America. It's a three-stage roadmap, and it's it's uh, first stage. A governor could allow some people back to work, keeping a lot of businesses, most businesses closed. Uh, but they only allow, they only not allow. They, the only its recommendation is that they only do this after they see declining Chinese coronavirus caseloads, fifty uh, percent over fourteen days. And as long as the hospital capacity is is would be able to handle an upsurge in cases. So to get to stage one is actually quite a quite a trek in itself. It's gonna it's it's at least at the very earliest it's fourteen days out, right? At the very earliest. At the very earliest. Yeah. And reality, will there be a fifty percent the case decline in caseloads in the and it's caseloads? It's not deaths. So caseloads, um, you know. There are a lot of tests out there, and they'll come back. And the tests will always... 
Well, I suppose, yeah, the tests will, all, you know, the, the, I think there's a lot more people out there suffering from this than, than people realize. Not suffering, it being asymptomatic. So there will be a lot of caseloads. Then phase two, uh, if infections can are drop again by 50%, it would allow schools, theaters, and bars to reopen. And vacation travel to resume. And groups of up to 50 people could gather again. But now, you know, it would be bars with social distancing. Except for not in Los Angeles, where the mayor here has already said that there will be no gatherings, large gatherings, until the end of the year, right? He said that, but I, he may have to roll that back. And, uh, you know, he, you know he, the mayor here says a lot, let's say. And then the third phase, elderly and other vulnerable people would be no longer asked to remain at home. And restrictions on working in offices could be lifted. In phase one, you would be allowed to go back to your office, but common areas would be closed and social distancing would be imposed. So it's a gradual, you know, and we're talking, we're not even talking six weeks from now for normality because it's six weeks at the minimum from the 50% decline. So there's no, you know, and, and as it says, there's no timeline. And it depends on case numbers. But as Dr. Fauci says, um, some states may not fully reopen until the fall, if then. Dr. Fauci, this is nonsense. This is unsustainable. Um, And also, it goes against the whole flattening of the curve idea, right? So this is what you have to watch out for. Uh, After, you know, the strategy that most of us bought into, and we were all okay with it, was flattening the curve to stop hospitals being overwhelmed everyone thought that, that was, was a good reason. that was a reason so you need to be careful that this does not merge into a strategy that no one gets ill hmm. we're all going you know this is as long as this virus is around it's going to it's contagious it's going to make people ill and you know we're not going to be able to stay in our house for years so we're all going to have to go out we're all going to have to take this risk hopefully the vaccine and maybe the virus will mutate in the summer and all this but we must not allow this national emergency and this closure of businesses and closure of American life to merge into. We can't, no one can get ill. It's about flattening the curve. It's about not overwhelming our hospitals. And you know, if if you know that if you make it about making no one ill, basically you will save America by destroying America. And I don't think anyone wants that. So, um, but. You know, are the governors as powerful as we think, right? Because the governors are going to say, oh, in in June the 2nd, I will do this. And it's like, yeah, really, how much of the government shutdown, the governor's shutdown is mandated and how much is voluntary? You know, a lot of this is voluntary. Yes. The governors may think that they're telling people what to do and people are following their instructions and, their, and the new laws and all that. I wonder, I think it's a lot of it's voluntary. You know, I think people are doing it for the good of themselves, for the good of the nation, for the good of their neighbors, actually. And, you know, there there are protests now where governors are, are shown to be not good actors. And, uh, you know, there were protests, again, yeah, there were protests in Michigan and Kentucky earlier in the week. Yesterday, there were protests in Virginia and Kentucky because of overreach by the governor there. And, you know, we see daily protests here in venice california actually you know because our beach is closed the beaches are closed now the beaches are are they half a mile wide like i mean you mean you can social distance to hell on them like i mean you 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 can you could you could be on the beach at the same part of the beach and you can try and shout to someone they can't hear you 
Yeah, we've, you know, as you say, there's kind of, there's been a version of protests here. I mean, you know, it's not quite the same as Kentucky, but, but basically, you know, we have noticed day after day an increasing number of people going to the beach, people sitting on the beach, people walking, people exercising on the beach, people on the bike paths. Um, and also people have taken to the roads. I mean, the, the stories, even the, the, even the Fo- Fox LA is actually even reporting on that. Like, and we've noticed it ourselves. We went on a drive yesterday, apparently. I think it's not illegal to do that at the moment. And it, Yet. Yet. So we were, look at it, us. It is in Ireland, though. It is in Ireland. You're not allowed two kilometres away from your house. And if you are, the police will stop you at a checkpoint and fine you. So we were having a rather stressful day yesterday and my husband decided to take us off on a little spin around the town so we drove us you know about five miles to Culver City but even in that space of time we both realized there's a definite change in the traffic there's a definite so people are not staying at home and the longer this goes on the less as this is the kind of point I think that you're making Phelan is that these governors let's see let's see exactly how powerful these governors and mayors are so next week what's going to happen in Los Angeles is going to be interesting is the temperatures are going to go right up to the 80s here at the beach and I think it's going to be very interesting to see the kind of numbers that are going to come to the beach so far the weather has been pretty mild and in fact if anything quite cool um, which has probably kept people away but I you know I, I think there's an increasing you know uh, a, people are increasingly frustrated with being home. They're not used to it, um, and I think they're not going to do it. So, as I said, we're in four weeks. We've got four more weeks to go. Things, I think, are starting to slip already. Yeah. And you can already see even official pushback against unreasonable restrictions. Four sheriffs in Michigan say they won't enforce part of the, the Governor Gretchen Whitmer's uh, power grab uh, legislation. And, you know, and but... So, so they they say what she is you know she's 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 brought in these crazy thing, crazy laws where if you have a house in a rural part of Michigan and you live in Michigan you can't travel from one house to the other I mean even if if you're in a dense urban area that has a lot of cases and you, you want you want to go up to your cottage mm-hmm. where there's no cases that you're not allowed to do that you're not you know she has taped off uh, p- parts of shops saying that's non-essential. I decide this is essential, and 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 sheriffs are just saying this is not l- constitutional. So the people are also saying that, and mo- but mostly people are worried. Mostly people are okay with restrictions, um, and uh, but I think it'll be the people who will decide when the restrictions are lifted. They will decide when it's okay to walk on the beach, to go to a restaurant that is spacing the tables apart. They will decide that it's not okay to go to a crowded nightclub or a bar or a concert hall or a plane. And people are smart enough to know that Wyoming is not New York and Flint, Michigan is not rural Michigan and rural Michigan is not New York. Rules for a densely populated mega city that depends on public transport should not be the same or even more restrictive in places like Wyoming or rural Michigan. And uh, just to show you that Hollywood never lets uh, a crisis go to to waste, uh, the late night comics, aren't they a laugh? Yeah, yeah, so so lovely and warm and fuzzy and just so genuine and really wanting to, I suppose, to give a positive contribution in a time when people are concerned and worried and stressed. So what what did Stephen Colbert do, Phelan? Well, actually, they are. They aren't they the ones that they're going to do a concert or a laugh in with the sponsored by the World Health Organization? <laughs> hey, let's do a joke about statistics. No, let's not. Let's not. Let's do a joke about China. No, let's not. Um, actually, I wonder if that'd be a good one. I wonder. 
if you if you're in a concert sponsored by the World Health Organization and you wanted to do a joke about Taiwan, remember that famous yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you, the, interview. the interview where the where the head of the, the, the of, of uh, not the head but the, the yeah, deputy one head of, one of the heads of yes the WHO. he was asked he was asked. interviewed by interviewed by by a journalist from from. Um, Hong, Kong, Hong Kong, Hong Kong. Yeah. But she asked, asked, she asked about uh, how Taiwan is doing, and he pretended not to hear, and uh, then accidentally hung up or whatever. And then she called him back, and this is all on Skype. And then he pretended not to hear again, and he says, "Well, that's not, that's not." And then he really says, "I don't want to answer that question," and moved on. So he didn't want to offend China. So, so it's hey, it's freewheeling fun for all the people as long as you don't offend China. Sponsored by the World Health Organization. Well done, Stephen Colbert. And we get back to Stephen's late night show last night, and he goes, um, "You know, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that legislators are convinced, and he imitates a legislator. You know." The medical data doesn't back up an early reopen, but I heard some sound policy. This is him attacking uh, ordinary people, uh, ordinary Michiganders and Kentucky people protesting. But I'm sure I've heard some sound policy ideas from lady flag screamer and guy in a purge mask. Ah, God bless Stephen. Stay classy, Stephen. The voice of a nation in crisis indeed. So, you know, during the, the last national crisis in the US, you know, the world, let's say World War Two, we had artists entertaining the troops keeping spirits up in the uk there was dame vera dame vera lynn singing we'll meet again don't know when you know you know really and you know and now in one of the biggest national crises since the great depression or the civil war we have stephen colbert attacking ordinary americans yeah it's yeah. It's, it warms your heart doesn't yeah. it yeah what a horrible guy what a horrible guy but want to talk about Amer oh. britain's empty hospitals yes sorry uh yes <laughs> This we're still trying to keep this short, uh, but there's just so much interesting stuff out there. So yeah, so yeah, um, Britain's empty hospitals. So Britain may be um, heading for something where the cure is worse than the disease. Um, and by the way, not just in Britain. By the way, this is something that's happening all over the world, <clears throat> where you have where you have hospitals that normally would have departments devoted to all kinds of ailments that people that people suffer from. And suddenly now, because of the coronavirus, people are not going for normal checkups that they would go to for treatments that they would normally go for that, you know, for all kinds of, um, you know, essential, essential uh, medical procedures that they should be doing that they're not not doing. So what are the consequences of that? Yeah, well, if you want more details on this, go to the, go to the Spectator magazine. They have a new uh, United States edition, Spectator USA. Spectator, the oldest um, publication in the, on the planet Earth? Uh, well, actually, magazine. magazine on the planet Earth, and former editor Boris Johnson, and indeed I've written for it myself in the, in the past as well. So they make the point that to prepare for the predicted surge in COVID nineteen cases, Chinese coronavirus, the NH hospitals uh, discharged patients en masse and emptied beds, but the models were wrong. Ooh, and the, the surge in the intensive care units never happened. Uh, so not only is it is the National Health Service not overwhelmed, it has now some 37,500 beds, four times more normal than, than is normal for this time of year. And this raises the question, and they, they raise this question, what happened to the patients who used to fill those empty beds? Now, you know, they talk about in the NHS about bed blockers, you know, um, that's how you deal, that's how you talk about your patients when it's a National Health Service, you don't want people in your beds. Uh, but... A lot of these people were genuinely sick people, the majority of them. And, you know, the, the, 
problem, and they're saying there could be a time bomb, a health time bomb down the road. People are not going to emergency rooms with heart conditions. People are not going. Uh, there's, there's, people are not going to be diagnosed for cancer, and uh, they're saying there could be that. In fact, Richard Sullivan, professor of cancer and global health at King's College London, the number of deaths due to the disruption of cancer services is likely to outweigh the number of deaths from the coronavirus itself over the next five years. That's so interesting. I actually said that to you yesterday, Phelan. I said, you know, that, um, and I had been talking to a few, a few friends of mine, and basically, you know, people who were who would normally be going for a mammogram, you know, a regular checkup at this particular time. I mean, th- those services aren't um, people. People aren't going out. People are scared. People aren't going, and I don't even know if those services are being offered. Actually, we should check that with UCLA. But I, I think that's brilliant. If you think about people who would have gone for colonoscopies, all those kinds of things that they're not doing now. And every day, by the way, that those services operate where they have colonoscopies, where they have mammograms, they find people. They detect people, people who prior to that knew nothing of, that didn't think they had any problems, didn't think they had cancer of any kind. And every day that, they ha- that these colonoscopies are done, every day that people have these mammograms, they find people. And they're not finding them now. Yes. So those people, you know, and as I said, here in Los Angeles, for example, we're one month in. We've got another month to go. This is a long period of time. And this is thousands and thousands of people who would otherwise be having that um, test done and who are not being detected. Um, and it's a, it's a massive worry. And by the way, the story that Phelan's talking about, about empty, empty beds in, in, in hospitals in the UK, there are empty beds all over the United States. And I know people are phoning into the Rush Limbaugh show all the time, telling, I'm a nurse here, I'm a nurse there. People have been sent home. We know a, a friend of ours who, who's living in an apartment complex in Santa Monica, one of her neighbours who's a nurse, has been, was sent home, was sent home from the hospital. They don't need her because they, they have all these empty departments. So, yeah, hospitals are taking an enormous economic hit here in America because they don't have any patients because we're all sent home. So talking of worrying statistics, uh, China has reduced, introduced new numbers that, of course, are dodgy. Uh, I mean, funny, it's not so much... I, I, I like these stories not so much uh, because the, the Chinese are dodgy. It's because it's the way the media report yes, them. Yes. What caught my attention last night was, was yeah. the Financial Times. Like the, I used to work for the Financial Times they ran this headline with no asterisks, with no China says. It's just China GDP has declined for the first time in 40 years, I think by 6, 6% or something. And the media is reporting the figures as if it's real. You know, the truth is no one knows uh, if the figures f- for this year are real. No one knows if the figures for the fa- past 40 years are genuine. Yes. You know, um, no one knows if the, whether the growth is real or not. Um, have the media learned nothing after months of breathlessly reporting and parroting uh, Chinese Communist Party death toll numbers from about the Wuhan flu provided by the Chinese Communist Party? Yeah, and to that point, you know, exactly, you know, so all the anything coming out of China in terms of numbers, in terms of reporting is coming from the the, the, the official source of all that information is the Chinese Communist Party, um, you know, a tyrannical authoritarian regime. But the New York Times anyway, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, when this story and we're living through history, I mean, it's extra, an extraordinary time to be alive. Um, and thank God we're safe and well here. And to anyone who isn't well and is not safe and is and is ill in a hospital. God help you, and we are thinking of you. Um, but it doesn't help. It really doesn't help that 
the media are so fixated on blaming Trump for every last thing that happens. And 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 what and that you know and it's all right actually. There's nothing really you know that it would be fine. It actually would be all right if they did that, if they at least were as critical, at least as critical of China. But no, they're not even critical of China at all. So today, anyway, the New York Times has you know has you know their little their their new headline. You know, China raises coronavirus deaths toll by fifty percent in Wuhan. Whew, whoopsie! Just like that, they've just doubled the death toll. In Wuhan, and they've dubbed, they've changed the number as well. They've also changed the number of the people of confirmed cases, but even this number, even this number, is ludicrous. So before they change this number, because one of the the number that matters, by the way, is the number of death of dead, excuse me, per million of the population. And just to give you an idea, and it's worth looking up these numbers. And there's a great site that you can go to, um, and I'll find that site before the end of the program and, and give it to you. Um, World O Meter, I think it's called World O Meter. Um, and you go there, and what's really interesting is that almost the lowest number of deaths on the planet Earth in this pandemic is in China. One death per million. One. They have one death per million based on the numbers that they supplied. Now, after yesterday, with this slight change in the numbers, it's probably one point something, point zero zero zero. But but basically, that's their numbers. And what you need to compare that to is you need to compare that to the numbers like out of Italy, where the number of death per million is like in the hundreds. I think it's 300 and something or 400 and something. So the idea that more people per million died in Italy than died in Wuhan, in, you know, in, in the whole of China, is ludicrous. It's a lie. And the sooner that the media stop lying about, the, about what happened in China, the better for everyone. And by the way, the safer for everyone. Because eventually, you know, hopefully, enough pressure will be put on the Chinese that they'll start to tell the truth. Because until they tell the truth, there is no cure. There is no hope, actually, until they start telling the truth and people find out exactly what happened there. And talking of telling the truth, we're going to come on to, to Dan Crenshaw at the moment, Congressman Dan Crenshaw. But talking of telling the truth, we should tell people about our new uh, uh, Wuhan flu entertainment, fbilovebirds.com. We released it yesterday. It's been unbelievable. We've had an unbelievable response. So as you, as you probably know, uh, we did the FBI Lovebirds with Dean Cain, Christy Swanson, the text messages of Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. And we had it up on YouTube, uh, the film version of the play. Very funny, hilarious. Uh, uh, Vice News, the leftist Vice News, called the most dangerous play in Washington, D.C. Uh, and I think because it was so dangerous, one of the actors found a clause in his contract and managed to force us to take it down from YouTube. And we had to re-edit it and remove the actor who was playing the Democratic congressman. Uh, and so we had to re-edit it hugely difficult huge expense we put it up i think we've had something like ten thousand uh, uh watches like of, a, of an hour-long play on, on youtube it's been amazing it's already up taking in the uh, actually adding in what we've already had i think it's seventy thousand people now have watched it it's just going up every day every minute it's great to see it it's a wonderful diversion and moving right along, it's fbilovebirds.com. Go to fbilovebirds.com. But I have to talk about Dan Crenshaw now, wonderful Dan Crenshaw, who did an amazing, you know, these Twitter threads. And I know not everyone's on Twitter, but uh, but we're on Twitter just so you don't have to be. But Dan Crenshaw, really great, took on Jennifer Rubin. Horrible, nasty, vitriolic 
um, bad, bad reporter, bad, bad, bad reporter. Supposed uh, she's the conservative voice on the Washington Post. It's a joke. So here's what the conservative voice on the Washington Post sounds like. The Trump toll when we are done will likely include tens of thousands of unnecessary deaths, massive unemployment, trillions of dollars more in debt and trillions of dollars in lost wealth, not to mention emotional hardships and educational disruption. That's the Washington Post, Jennifer Rubin. That's what they call a conservative. But Dan Crenshaw took her on and in a blistering thread on Twitter, and I'm, I'm just going to give him the benefit of, of reading most of this because it's really good. He says to her, stop, all caps, stop rewriting history. Instead of us attempting to spin the public into a hateful, frightened frenzy, let's try reporting some facts with the correct context. And here's what it might look like, and I love this. So on March the 3rd, the day after you claim, he's talking to Jennifer Rubin here, the day after you claim Trump should have shut our economy down, this is how the WHO, the World Health Organization, the World Health Organization, the World Health Organization, downplayed the virus. Here's what the World Health Organization said on March the third: COVID nineteen spreads less efficiently than flu. Transmission does not appear to be driven by people who are not sick. Thanks for that, WHO, World Health Organization. Um, And he basically goes on, would the American public really have accepted millions of jobs destroyed for a virus that had infected 102 people, just repeat that again, 102 people who were infected by March the 2nd, especially considering that Italy would not look, Italy, by the way, which was most heavily affected country after China, would, would not lock down until March the 10th, Spain on March the 14th, and the UK on March the 23rd. A little bit of context is in order here, says Dan Crenshaw. And he also wants to respond to another particular comment that uh, Jennifer, horrible Jennifer Rubin said. Here's what she said. Because we did not act earlier to ramp up testing at a massive scale and prepare our healthcare system, social distancing, shutting down most of the economy was required. So she, so he says, you know, not sure where the magic COVID-19 testing switch is. The truth is that long-standing regulations in place for decades prevented us from doing so. And you know what? Who loves long-standing regulations? Who is it, I wonder, between the Republicans and the Democrats who insist on these extraordinary Regulations. Where did those regulations come from? I think we know the answer. The, the only, the only, there's only one thing that Demo- they may love long-standing regulations. They really love new regulations. Also, they just love regulations. They love regulations. And last bit from Dan Crenshaw. He does a beautiful thing. He says again, while you argue that Trump ignored early warning signs, again talking to Jennifer Rubin, you ignored the headlines that ran on the pages of your newspaper in January and February and here's a couple of them here's a couple of doozies from the Washington Post January and February and this is the Washington Post now who are blaming Trump and say not more than that who are basically saying that he has blood on his hands that he's responsible for the deaths of thousands of people here's the Washington Post why we should be wary of an aggressive government response to coronavirus how our brains make coronavirus seem scarier than it is Get a grip, America. The flu is a much bigger threat than coronavirus for now. So that was the fabulous Washington Post back then. And Dan Crenshaw's last kiss-off that I'm going to give him is, when all is said and done, again to Jennifer Rubin of the Washington Post, when all is said and done, this bad faith analysis isn't fact-based and lacks important context. Hating Trump is not an excuse for lazy. Love it. Thank you for that one. And we've said, seen the other news, and then in lighter news, we've seen Meghan and Harry, Prince Harry and his 
newly his beloved his betrothed uh, Meghan Markle have been spotted out in Los Angeles you know they've just hit the road we kind of knew this when this whole thing started and they took off from you know from the UK we were thinking you know and they went to Vancouver Island we were like shaking our heads going Meghan Markle is not going to be happy in Vancouver Island she really needs a bit more glamour than that so they ended so of course they've they abandoned Vancouver Island and they've ended up in Los Angeles and they couldn't have really possibly chosen a worse time to have have abandoned the royal family and to have on one hand and on the second hand to have arrived in Los Angeles because instead of instead of swanning around and having lovely meetings with Disney with the head of Disney the head of Disney has an awful lot more things to worry about. The head of, you know, the, you know these are all of these, you, you know, the head of Universal, they have a lot more to worry yeah. about than meeting up with and worrying. You know, they have a lot more to worry about than finding a role for Meghan in, in I'm a celebrity getting me out of the royal family, you know? Yeah, you remember Harry was on a red carpet and he met and he was famously, you know, a, cam- a microphone picked him up, pitching Meghan to the head of Disney, uh, you know. This is not the time to come here. That you know, you, there's no red carpets. There are no premieres. There are no launches. There won't be. It, 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 they could not. And of course, back in in the UK, the royal family is is one of the institutions that has really emerged out of this with with credit. Beloved institutions, yeah. by the way. But more beloved, uh, they've done. Yeah. They haven't put a foot wrong. Uh, Charles even got the coronavirus just to, <laughs> to prove, just to prove, a solidarity was, to prove that he was one of the people. Yeah. But um, but instead of trying to establish themselves, you know, you know, you know, in the in the in the ritzy kind of having the lovely celebrity parties and that they're now trying to establish themselves as Californian charity workers. So they've been spotted. Ah. Uh, they've been spotted out by the Daily Mail out there delivering food parcels to poor people. When we say spotted, they tipped off the Daily Mail, I would say, and for, for the photo, photo opportunity. And I always am amused by the Daily Mail, you know, who have actually then identified that the shirt that the, you know, the man shirt that uh, that Meghan Markle is wearing is a $225 shirt. I just wonder, like, where you went, anyway, fabulous. But you see the two of them out wearing their makeshift masks, you know, and it's and their, and their, ha- and their gloves delivering, you know, these $20 parcels of food, you know. And it's kind of, you know, it, it's ludicrous. Obviously, it's ludicrous on lots of levels, and it's actually kind of sort of more than pathetic actually you know because th- how much money are they spending on security when they're here and as, uh, by the way and as long as they are spending that money themselves I'm actually a lot happier than if the state of California were paying for it actually uh, let's let's just go to what's important uh, San Francisco mayor has announced a new member of the Muni uh, of the Municipal Transportation Authority and she's picked Jane Natoli so in the middle of a of a crisis where public transport is is, is is actually being blamed for a lot of the uh, a lot of spreading the disease, and people are saying, "I'll never get in public transport again." And we're going to have to look at the whole idea of public transport, and should we encourage more cars and more Ubers, etc.? So he's picked Jane Natoli, and what is she? She's the first trans woman to serve on the municipal municipal transport agency board. So that's what San Francisco thinks is important, as they're in the middle of a coronavirus meltdown, because it's a hot spot up there. Yeah, and then just um, you know, just to look at what um, some uh, the police department in Maryland, uh, fabulous. So the police department have issued a final warning to residents in Maryland. A final warning, and uh, here's what the final warning. Now it's in fairness, one part of Maryland, but I love it. Please remember, and I think everyone actually, this could be a message from Phelan and I actually to everyone. I think we actually agree with the police department here. You know, in fairness, we 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 have some problems with the police departments in certain places who are being a bit heavy-handed. But we're with the Tanny Town Police Department of Maryland. Please remember to put your pants on before leaving the house to check your mailbox. And Tanny Town says. You know who you are, 
This is your final warning. So I think, you know, in, fa- in fairness to all of us. The other thing we have a question to you quickly before we go here is, you know, nearly uh, apparently nearly 77% of Americans are struggling to sleep. I am with them. And I'm wondering, are you one of those people too? And basically they say that as well, that people are having these really vivid dreams, horrible dreams, dreaming about death and everything. That's not my problem. Um, I'm, not, I'm not having any bad dreams, but I am definitely having problems sleeping. Well, it's, you know, eating too much doesn't help. No, uh, no, no, that's a problem. That actually, that, there you go, Philem. You've put your finger on it. Thanks yeah. for doing that, by the way. Scaredy cat and top cat uh, going a little bit crazy at night. Oh, yeah, we've noticed that as well. I wonder if your pets started to behave strangely. Our pets, definitely. Normally, our cats are really good at night, and now they've decided to go completely nuts at about 3 o'clock in the morning. And, and I'm wondering if that's the fact that they're, you know, be a, bit, a bit stressed by being together with us all the time. They normally have a lot more alone time. Yeah, a, a lot more autonomy. So just to remind you, FBI lovebirds, uh, Dean Cain, Christy Swanson. It's it's President Trump's favorite play. It's the play that the left love to hate. Um, they, they we've I, I I've done a lot of projects. I've never had a hit so much hate directed towards a project, and uh, you know that you're on target when they start shooting at you. So FBILovebirds.com. So FBILovebirds.com, which will bring you directly to the YouTube. Watch it. Some of you have smart TVs. You can put it up on the big screen. And please, when you've watched, leave us a comment. We'd really appreciate to hear from you. So that's enough from today. Have a fabulous weekend. We look forward to talking to you on Monday. Thank you. All the best. Thank you. Bye-bye.